Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth in the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. We feature leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, part of the Jepson Performance Group. Video segments of this and other episodes of the podcast can be found at Sales Leadership United, hosted on Patreon. Think of Sales Leadership United like a Home Depot for sales leaders. It's a comprehensive resource for sales leaders with over 100 hours of tools, training, and insights sorted and tagged into every category you might need to help you become an elite sales leader. A private podcast, sales leadership training, sales meeting insights, video insights, and much more are waiting for you to check out at Sales Leadership United. Don't reinvent sales leadership. Tap into proven tools and techniques used by many of today's most successful sales leaders and check out Sales Leadership United today. Now, get ready for some serious insights from this week's sales leader who's making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Today, we're joined by a sales leader I've been a fan of for a really long time. Tyler Barron is the Chief Revenue Officer for Encapture. For over 10 years, Tyler's led multiple high-growth SaaS sales teams with great success. I've watched him successfully build teams, navigate different challenging growth challenges, and create massive success with the teams that he's leading. One of my favorite things about Tyler, though, it's that he isn't a big talker. The guy is a big doer. And in our socially amplified world of today, this is becoming increasingly rare. And it's one of my favorite things to look for in sales leaders. As a result, Tyler's had a remarkable career where he's gone from successful salesperson to successful VP of sales, and now the CRO of an exciting high growth company in the fintech space. He's an expert in creating predictability and and helping team members choose growth and execution. Tyler's an active contributor to the sales and sales leadership community, a highly successful sales leader, someone that I learn from every single time we're together, and just a terrific guy that I'm excited to bring on our show. We're in for a real treat today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Tyler, my friend, welcome to our show and thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks, Rob. I, I definitely appreciate it. I feel like the uh, the bar was set pretty high there, so hopefully I don't disappoint. <laughs> so very, very kind of you. Glad hey, man, to be on. Welcome to the top uh, sales leadership podcast in the world that you deserve to be here. I'm excited for you to share some stuff with our uh, over 30,000 listeners now that we got. So I, I'm, thanks for joining me, man. I'm, I'm pumped to have you. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, we've, we've had a great relationship throughout the years and really glad that you, that you asked me to be on here. Awesome. Well, why don't we start by having you introduce Encapture uh, at a high level to our listeners, um, kind of what you do at Encapture and what you do for your customers. Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, we're a we're early growth SaaS company headquartered out of Dallas, Texas. Um, we're a machine learning platform. Um, you know, we primarily focus on um, selling into the banking and lending space. And, you know, the problems that we're solving out there is really figuring out ways to make, uh, you know, lending and, and banking more efficient. Um, you know, our platform really focuses on document automation. Uh, but uh, I've been here for two years now. We've had a tremendous amount of growth. 
uh, just wrapped up last year, um, 128% year over year ARR growth. And Boom. Uh, thing, things have been, things have been cooking with, with hot grease over here and we're having fun. Uh, but it's a, it's been a fantastic uh, ride so far. It's a great solution that solves a very material business problem for our clients. And it's uh, been a lot of fun building and growing a team over here. Well, there's a reason fintech's always an exciting space because it's so important. It's fundamental. It's foundational to every community in the countries that you know we are in. And um, and so yeah, I I that's one of my favorite spaces. The the financial services space is one of the most important ones. So thank you. Last question before we dive into the topic we're going to talk about today. Uh, I found that as I talked, it's, it's crazy. I can't believe that I started the show over three years ago, and we haven't missed a week in three years and uh, more than three years, you know, like, a, I don't know, 180 some odd episodes already now talking to great sales leaders like you every time. And in this massive number of like some of the best sales leaders in the world, I have found like maybe one or two that said they were going to be in sales when they grew up. Most of the time we did not plan on being in sales. Can you give us like the high level on kind of how you got rolling in sales and how that led you to in capture? And so did, that's, I love that question question just because it's it's hilarious none of us ever say this is what I want to do whenever I grow up in fact the only career advice my dad gave me and he was in sales growing up was he would say you know after a long day he'd be like Tyler you know don't go into sales and, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know so I, I I actually graduated college during the you know great recession 2008. Um, I paid for all my own school. I had wow. a tremendous amount of student loan debt, um, you know, where my my buddies were fine coming out making, you know, 40K or so per year, or, you know, per year. I was like, man, I need to make that potentially per month. Um, yeah. I was like, you know, I need to figure out a way to pay some bills here. And and I had sales jobs throughout college. I was, you know, one of those people that kind of worked my way through school um, and, uh, you know, I fell into it. I found out I was really good at it. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I just kind of fell in love with it because I, it, it came naturally. I liked winning and I liked the ability to, to really have uncapped earnings. And, um, you know, whenever, whenever you kind of start seeing those, those paychecks come in, whenever you're, you're early and you're able to kind of chip away at, at personal goals and, um, you know, make the kind of income you want to make and, you know, it's just very, self-assuring, you know? Yeah. I, we're part of the greatest profession in the world, no doubt. And uh, we're all, it seems like I find more and more people that are kind of accidentally involved, but then we get intentionally successful. Right. Mm. And, and uh, so I'm with you, man. Thanks for sharing that. Um, so you, you've made a decision that you like working for high growth, earlier stage companies. You like doing that for reasons that are you know specific and unique to you. And I love that. You've had a really good run of doing that. Um, and so one of the things that comes with being in a high growth company that sometimes you don't see in some of the bigger, more established companies is we got to sell now. You know, we, 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 uh, we can't worry about selling next year. We'll do that next year. Right now we got to sell now. And mm -hmm. um, you and I were talking about that a little bit before we got started. I'm really interested to kick this conversation off. Have you seen the role of a sales leader changing at all? I don't know if it's in the last few months or in the last couple of years. Uh, is the role the same, but how we do it different? Like, how has being a sales leader changed in your mind as you've worked with people that have a lot of pressure to sell? How have you seen the role of a leader kind of change at all, if, if at all? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely think that it that it has changed a lot. And and look, being in sales, there's a lot of pressure. And then especially being in an early growth environment to where, you know, you have super ambitious goals. Um, you know, I feel like, you know, earlier in our my sales career and, and you know, you kind of see good sales management, you see bad sales management. The whole fear-based mentality um, is something that I've really seen just not work. And, and also that, you know, I've seen, had to see sales leaders really adapt to, to just building relationships better with, with reps and letting them know that, hey, look, let me always let you know exactly where I stand, where my head's at. I'm not, you know, sitting here plotting against you or, you know, anything like that. And, and let me have a super transparent conversation where you and I can build enough trust to where I can actually really help you. Tell me where I can help you. Um, you know, don't worry about me judging you about any sort of insufficiency you might have or whatever it might be. So I really feel like, you know, even at like the CRO level, I, I spend the majority of my time coaching still. And, um, you know, just the, the whole like fear-based mentality is, is something that, that has gotten, I think a lot more difficult to, to, to try to eliminate given that with people being remote and dispersed, it's harder to build rapport and trust and, and all that. And so you just got to be a lot more intentional just by, just, you know, Hey, how's it going? Let's talk about it. How are you doing? You know, what specifically is going on right now? Um, so, you know, I, I kind of feel like that's one big thing. Um, yeah. You know. All right. So I, I'm taking down notes, bud. You, you just set up the rest of the call that we have today. This, this show, you just gave us a trailhead. There's at least three places we can go on this one. And, yeah. uh, and I hope that we can get down as much of all three as possible. And we'll I'll, probably have some other cool I, stuff. I, I almost took it a different direction too, like, um, you know, kind of talking a little bit more about like the CRO role, because that was, dude, that was the majority. That was one of the reasons why I left back was like the sales and marketing fighting and all that. Yeah. And, and then, you know, also just focusing more on actual real shareholder value development. You know what I mean? Like even as a VP of sales, I was just always focused on hitting on hitting the number, hitting the number, hitting the number. And I really wasn't thinking about things like, okay, how do we do this in a super capital efficient way? And like, you know, thinking about sales efficiency ratios and stuff like that, but that might not be as fun, you know? Well, I'm going to write it down. We might get back to it. Cause I think there's, there's stuff there. I mean, what I like is we got all these people listening to you right now. And some of them are in early stage companies. Some of them are in bigger, more mature companies, but the stuff we're going to talk about is going to be applicable to all of them. And cause I think you're right. I, I want to go back to where you did start. I think that, um, for sure, this idea of fear-based uh, mentality, this fear-based leadership. Yeah. Um, I think that there was a lot of that. Now, I think that you're seeing a lot of people switching jobs and it's easier to do that. And if, they're, if you haven't figured out how to get over that, you've probably already been stung by people leaving you, I would guess, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and so I want to dive into that a little bit. I, I have an opinion that I want to throw out to you. I think that before... I hate to say I'm pre-COVID and post-COVID because we're two years past the, the advent of COVID, but it changed a lot of things. So it's, it's not a bad place to look at it. I think the, especially intermediate and below leaders, this idea of data-driven coaching it came, or data-driven leadership, it, it was easy for the rookies to the kind of average middle of the roads 
to make it all about the cadence numbers, to make it all about what the spreadsheet said. And so yeah. I think a lot of this fear-based stuff came through of if you're not having the numbers show up on the um, dashboard or on the whatever call counting device we have is that you better figure out how to fix that or else we'll find someone who will. I think yeah. that's that was really, really deeply entrenched before. And I'd love to get your take on that. Do you agree that that's part of it? I mean, what have you seen? No, I, what contributes I, I, to that? So I, I think there's kind of two components to that. You know, one is, is you are absolutely right that it is easier to, to just look at the data. Um, also, now that the market's changed so much to where it's so much harder to find talent. Previously, you were like, well, this will not work out. I'll just, I'll just go find somebody else. Yeah. Hell, it's hard to go find somebody else right now. You're going to go pay. You're going to go pay up. And it's, it's going to take twice as long to go find them. There's data all over that. Right. Yep. So that, that's another thing. So you, you're, you're trying to keep your house in order a lot more. And, and the other thing too, is just like, you know, really kind of double tapping around. Okay. Like what, what is, what is this person's head at? Like, what is their actual motivation behind this stuff? Um, you know, how, how do I really get this person to buy in? Um, and, you know, kill any sort of a, you know, emotional waste to where he's spending a couple of hours a day, every day, just, just worrying about hitting his number, you know, and, and just having that conversation, just be like, Hey, look, I know you're not doing as good as you think you do. Here's the, here's the data. Here's the numbers. It is what it is, but let's talk about it. Yeah. You know, let, let's, let's actually sit down and have a conversation. And I tell you one thing that, that I feel strongly about is that a lot of it is that, people find it easier to just throw their hands up and leave and, and go find doing something easier than just having a real conversation with their manager or a manager having a real conversation with, with the rep. Um, so a lot of it's just people just kind of bowing out of just having a transparent conversation and, and they don't, they don't really look into, you know, all the different risk reward based on that. And then they, you know, see just the, slight, you know, okay, well, there's, there's all this great opportunity in the market and let me just jump. And, you know, the, the challenge is, is that especially like early growth startups, it's like, man, there's so many different components. You got to be at the right place with the right product, you know, all, all that stuff has to come together. Um, so I, I do kind of feel like it's a little bit of a two-way street too, to where, you know, both on the manager side and the employee side, it's like, you know, people would rather just, you know, instead of figuring out a way to make it work and figuring out what's like the core issues are around skill gap or, you know, whether it's an, you know, just emotional or motivation thing, you know, they just throw their hands up and just, just kind of quit and move on. You know, you said something super interesting that I want to sit on for a minute, if, if that's okay. You talked about, it's easier to throw your hands up. And I think that we're conditioned to that. Oh, they don't work hard enough. Then the leader says, I'll get rid of them. Or on the rep side, I could throw my hands up. This, this leader doesn't get me. I, I, you know, I'll throw up my hands and, and we're conditioned to do that. I love that. You know, that grass is greener. I, my favorite way it ends is grass is greener where you water it. It's not on the other side of the fence. It's just greener wherever you water it. Right. Yeah. And unfortunately I don't know that we have, because on the one side it was a hirer's market, the, the employer's market where they could say, Let's go get someone who can. Now it's on the the sales rep side where they're like, I'll go find a leader who gets me, you know? And, yeah. and it's interesting that that's happening because we do have to adapt. You, you brought that up in your introduction about the importance of adapting and the importance of having trust. 
And I want to dive into that trust thing. Cause I think what you're describing fear-based leadership almost never is, is there in an environment of trust, right? Mm-hmm. How do you build trust between leader and rep? Like one of my favorite sales leaders that I follow, Mark Smith, great guy. Uh, he, 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 he told me before that he promises all the reps that he hires that he, they, you know, they're going to trust them. They're going to trust each other, but he's never going to ask for it. You don't ever ask for trust. You just earn it. I'd love to hear like your thoughts since you brought it up. How do you build trust between the people you lead um, and, and, and the people on your team, you know? Well, you know, I think that the biggest thing is, is, is just always doing what you say you're going to do, like even in the smallest little things. So, you know, we're, we're constantly walking around, you know, asking how we can help somebody. We figure out what it, you know, what that thing is that we can help them with. And we, we execute on it immediately. Um, the other thing too, just, just having taken some time just to, Hey, how are you doing? Let's talk. And then not just leaving it like, Hey, how are you doing? Whatever. Oh, I'm fine. You know, I got this deal going on, blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, help me really understand like what's, what's going on. What are you struggling with? I mean, it's, it's almost kind of like using some of those, those discovery skills to really get people to open up with you and, and just let, you know, let you know, just like, Hey, look, man, like let's, let's level with each other. And, Let's just have a real conversation. The other thing, too, that I've really found is that there's always going to be something that comes up really early, um, something that's not done the right way, something that like interpersonal conflict, whatever it might be, and just giving immediate and direct feedback. Um, and that just kind of sets the tone for how the relationship's going to be. And I, I feel like people respond really well to that. And they, they want to know where they stand. They they, you know, want to make sure that that they're not working from some for somebody that they're constantly guessing where they're at on yeah. something. Um, so I, that's I don't know, maybe it's just my style, but that's that's kind of what I've seen work. Well, I got two things on trust now that you brought up that I want to talk about. I want to go to the second one first, and then I'll go back to where I'd already written down. I like how you said it's almost like using your discovery. I'm I want I was giving you an amen over here, man. I felt like I was like <laughs> preach, Tyler, preach. I believe that just like we teach uh, reps that they got to be able to connect to things that prospects or customers care about, either the problems they want solved or, or results they want achieved. We, that's, that's what it is. We understand it. What is it? How do you value it? What's the value of fixing it? All that kind of stuff, right? Who does it help if you do? Who does it hurt if you don't? Um, all that stuff goes into good discovery. I have felt for years that great coaching uses that same skill. It's that ability to discover what they care about, problems they want solved or, or, or results they want to achieve. What is it that matters to them? Why does it matter? What happens if you get it? What happens if you don't? You know, all those kinds of things. That same skill will help you become a really, really great coach if you can take that same approach rather than just start being the quarterback. You know, I'm sure quarterback says, well, here's the route I want you to run or here's, you know, the cadence, what it needs to look like, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I'm in on that. How long have you felt that way? Cause it's not almost like discovery. It is discovery. It, 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 it absolutely is. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's really also, okay. So, you know, it's like whenever you find the, the business level challenge with the prospect, just like during your one-on-ones, you're kind of talking about the business level what it is, you ultimately have to get down to that personal, emotional level because that's what actually inspires like action, right? You know, to where somebody's ready to act and do something about it to 
achieve whatever personal win they they're, they're trying to tie that to, right? That's that actually what moves the deal forward or actually inspires and motivates a rep. It, it's really kind of figuring out like, Hey, wh- what do you want? Well, it's not just to, to hit the number or, or win a deal. No, there's something that you want out of being here. Right. You know what I mean? You know, whether it's, you know, all the way down to something super personal, like, like me is like, Hey, I had to pay back a ton of student loans or trying to buy a ring for your girlfriend or, or, yep. or whatever it is. And, you know, I, I like to sit down and talk with reps about that. And I'm, you know, we've done some little workshops around this stuff where we'll finally get down to that and we'll be like, all right, you know, print that thing out or write it down and just put it on your desk and, and just keep that up there. So you're always just, you know, as a reminder, you know. Yeah, I think it, I think that's one of the places that coaching has changed. I actually think that the great ones like you, you were doing that kind of stuff already because that was why you were able like listen, attracting someone to an early stage company is appealing to more than just I got a good job, right? You're appealing right. to what they want to accomplish with the limited segments of their career. So you've learned to have those kind of coaching conversations and connection conversations already. Otherwise, you're going to have a harder time attracting people to those early stage companies that has a different risk profile than some of the larger companies that have been around for a while. Fair to say? Absolutely. And it, it takes a different mindset and a different motivation. And, and we, we talk a lot about that here to where this is extremely hard what we do. And if you don't have this mentality that you're, you embrace this being hard because ultimately you know it's going to make you so much better and be a world-class seller then then it's just going to be painful. You're going to be fighting it all the time. But if you, if you embrace it being challenging, if you embrace, you know, the challenges of, you know, selling in the early growth environment, plus helping build a business with me, then it's going to be a great experience. But, you know, if you're just, you're just looking to, to make a ton of money and, and, you know, which, Hey, you could do that here too, but also do it with the path of least resistance, then by all means, go do it with a big logo behind you and an established product. Yep. You know, but, you know, if, if you're interested in becoming a great business person out of it and you like doing hard things and and you're really looking to to be excellent at what you do, um, you know, it, it's just a it's kind of a different mentality whenever you face stress and and, uh, you know, pressure of, of how you view that stress and pressure, you know. So we're, yeah, this is why I love that you brought this up. So great leaders, great coaches like, like yourself, you've had to figure that out already. But I think that's one of the places that we've seen sales leadership and maybe in particular coaching change, <coughs> excuse me, it's become significantly like the importance of being personal instead of just the business case, I think is more evident. I'm not going to say it's more important than it's ever been. I think it's more evident than it's ever been. Because yeah. I think the great ones were already doing that, at least my humble opinion. I think that they understood that. And one of my favorite ways to say it, and it's not me, I've heard it from a lot of places. And so I, I, I say it as well. we got to coach the whole person and not just the salesperson today. Right. Yeah. That, that's good. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I, I think that the great ones were already doing that. I just think that now it's more of a requirement to do that. If you want to be a leader that can really have people buy into you, because that's what it is. They're buying into the mission of the company, but they're also buying into you as a leader on their development and their success. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And if you look at the statistics around, you know, average sales tenure right now, you know, 
what is it, Rob, like 12, 18 months max, you know, for, for an average rep, you know, and it, they it's say come down. Yeah. In the last two, in the last two and a half years, like it's all reset. Like what was normal is now not normal. Yeah. And, you know, average quota attainment across the board, like 52%. And the, the, the thing that is, is it, man, it breaks my heart is that I, I personally know that even going back to whenever I was just an IC, it takes you six months to, to really, really figure it out and start yeah. being productive at executing. It takes you a year to get good at it. It takes you two years to get great at it. And the thing that I found is in that year three, year three is when you start crushing it. Yeah, that's when you start kicking ass. Yeah, and uh, I, I feel like there's a whole you know, generation of sellers that that aren't, aren't going to get that experience unless unless we change our the, the way that we're managing sales reps. Mm-hmm. And and really make sure that we're, we're, we're just being better leaders and making sure that we know what's going on to, to keep people here. And, and it's not keep people happy. That's the wrong way of looking at it. People are happy if they're, if they're reaching their goals and, and they're actually great at producing and executing. People want to be successful, not, not just happy. You know, happy is a fleeting feeling, you know. So insightful, man. That's like I'm sitting here going, that is like, so well said. That's a great sound drop. I, for the people that are part of Sales Leadership United, that's for sure going to be a, a video clip that we put in there. And um, so you're right. I mean, if we can't help people see a reason to get to stay in their seat till that place that you talked about, that year three maybe, I, I know that a lot of people are very impatient. They have places they want to get fast. But you're right. I mean, sometimes you don't get that really fulfilling, successful, rewarding experience, unless you've been there for a certain amount of time and, you, and you've learned some of those lessons and you've done some of those experiences. And I think if we start skipping some of them, it actually, it can actually hamper our ability to be a great whatever at the next level, right? Mm-hmm. Now that that's absolutely right. Yeah. I hadn't ever thought of it that way that we're, that if we can't find a way to keep them in there, we rob them. So, so let's talk about that. Like, again, this is not a place that we had talked about going, but I love it. Any best practices on getting people to see why the year three for, as your example, I'm not saying it has to be year three. I'm just using your example in that example, getting year three, like how do you get people to see that that's worthwhile? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, I think a lot of it is to be transparent about one, you know, showing people that, you know, cause you kind of got two different, two different camps. One people leave because they struggle Two people leave because they get bored and they're not challenged. Right. And so the, the ones that are, the ones that are struggling, you know, really being candid about coaching and, and showing them how to improve and, and really, really going through that hand in hand, you know, that that's a big part of it. And then the, the ones that, that have are, are doing really well. I mean, Rob, I'm from the camp that you do really well with something. I dump a whole truckload more on you. And yeah. there, there's, there, there's always plenty more to go around. I mean, I, I have a, a rep right now that's, um, you know, he's our, our director of sales for our whole West division. And, you know, this time last year, he had just joined the company as, as an IC, you know, went all the way through the ranks and, and is killing it now. And so a lot of it is just, showing people incrementally as they do better, give them more responsibility, give them more responsibility. And, and as leaders, that requires us to trust and delegate more. Um, you know, I think a lot of it too, in terms of that three-year vision is being transparent about just company vision and, um, 
you know, working hand in hand with the CEO to, to, to really um, share what that vision is and, and share the runway that's in front of them and, and kind of tie it back to what we talked about earlier, whatever that personal motivation is, um, and, and really show them where they fit into that plan and, and be transparent about like, hey, here's, here's how I view you in this plan right now. How, how do you feel about it? Like, where do, where do you view yourself? And, and instead of like having these weird perception conversations that, that, you know, it's like, well, he doesn't see my potential or I don't know where I'm going. It's like, let's just have conversations about this stuff. You know, where do you see yourself going? Here's where I see you potentially going. Love it. And just, just marrying that stuff up together and just, just, just talking about dreams, you know, <laughs> the aspirational conversation. Um, yeah. I love that conversation. I talk about that with the leaders I coach all the time. And it's interesting to me how few get to the aspiration level, that personal level. I think it goes back to what you talked about before trust. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how much of it's trust. I don't know how much of it's culture or environment. Um, I, I do know that a lot of people want to start working with them. We, we, I try to, ha- to help build systems that get leaders to have aspirational conversations because I think common aspirations are what unites a team. And, yeah. um, and I've had a lot come back to me, Tyler, and say, man, they, they responded like I was a weirdo, like I was a freak trying to ask what they cared about, you know, and where are we going together? And their answer was, hey, man, I'm just going to do what I've always done. I'm going to work hard. I'm not going to cheat. I'm not going to break any rules. I'm going to do my very best. I'm going to cross my fingers and hope that it's good enough at the end of the year. And I mean, what would you say to those people who, because there's going to be a lot of people listening to the show that may be in that camp. Any, any thoughts that you'd share with those people on how you can kind of earn the right to have that aspirational conversation? Well, it isn't just a, a singular conversation. That, that's probably the, 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 the biggest thing. It, it is the development of a relationship over time. Um, and I mean, I know this, people say this a lot, but being authentic and people see right through that. So I can't help it. In fact, I'm probably transparent to a fault a lot of times. Um, allows people to be authentic as well. If they know you're being real, they're going to be real. And, but, you know, continue to have those conversations and, and ask those, those, those follow-up kind of, you know, Hey, well, tell me more about that. And, you know, let me, you know, I, you know, if you could change anything here, what would you change? You know, what's, what's keeping you from doing that? Um, you know, really kind of just asking more questions, two or three layers deeper to try to really kind of understand, um, you know, what's going on, but it, it does take time. Um, you know, I, I always try to do just outside of just the standard one-on-one, you know, just randomly call, you know, people on your team, just, Hey, how was your day? You know, how did it go? You doing all right. And, um, I've always kind of felt it to be pretty helpful to, to, to just kind of share like, Hey, here's man, here's what's going on with me right now. And it kind of gets them to, to open up on stuff too. You know, it reminds me of, it reminds me of one of the guys that I work with who felt like he was too disconnected from his team. So that was one of the things he decided to do was just start calling people. And the feedback he immediately got was, is everything okay? What he called is like, Oh, you're calling me. Is there something wrong? <laughs> Like, am I in trouble? Is something right? That that might be a good insight that you might want to work on the personal relationship, right? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, as you said that, it reminded me of him because we laughed together. It was like, okay, well, that means we probably should do this a little more often. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, so, no, nothing's wrong, man. 
Um, let's talk a little bit about adapting. Um, I, I think one of the, the, the hallmarks of the greatest sales leaders is they're able to adapt as leaders, but they're also able to get teams to adapt as they need to. Um, I know that's something in your world you have to be good at because you're pivoting with some frequency as an early stage company. Any advice to our listeners? Because I think the big companies could learn a lot from the high growth companies and the right ways to adapt and pivot as, as needed. Uh, I, I think this has everything to do with, with uh, how you can have influence. I think that's the word leadership's about is how do we have influence on people? Uh, any thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, I think a couple things is that change is always easier with the team if you help them, if they if they co-own it with you. Um, mm. So, you know, at least once a month, we get together as a team. We, we call it our, you know, our, our GSD sessions to where we basically talk about, all right, what are the things that are, are preventing us from executing? And, and we really kind of put those things up on a on a whiteboard, digital whiteboard a lot of times now. And just kind of talk through that. My one rule is, is if you bring something up, then then you gotta you gotta own that thing. I'll give you whatever resources you need. Um, usually, people kind of tag team that stuff. But I mean, ultimately, all the pivots that we make in the business, all the changes that we make to the sales playbook, all that stuff. I mean, that's coming straight out of the field, and mm. and and we're all co-owning that stuff together in terms of building the business. So this this is probably sounds like it's you know common like sense, but you know just dictating stuff down, then you got to fight the whole buy-in cycle and all that stuff. And, and if you really just sort of get people to co-own it with you, then you're going to have the ability to hold, to, to, to get the team to be a lot more agile. You got to have a regular cadence to this stuff and at least some framework around it, because we can't just ideate around problems and, and even solutions without good execution Yep. So part, part of those meetings, too, is, is that holding everybody accountable to where it's like we identified this as a problem. We came up with some potential solutions. OK, is it where are we at? Is it done or is it? In, OK, if, if it's not done, then can we help you? How do we get there? Is it, you know, as the problem changed? So, you know, it's the balance between making these pivots and executing and, and making sure there's a really tight feedback loop around that. Um you know, I think that's one way to kind of, um, you know, institutionalize uh, making these 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 pivots and, and agility um, and just keeping the team to be pretty adaptable as well. Um, yeah, yeah. I, what I like about that is and you've just brought up the word. I thought we would get to this because it's kind of who you are and what you're about. And it may seem like like no duh. It may seem obvious, but I don't see this like one of the things I think that's you're good at as a leader is you're good at creating this culture of execution. They, they do, but without the fear-based too often we execute because I'm, I'm fearful of what happens if I don't like, or it's social pressure. I don't want to be on the bottom of whatever list. Okay. So mm-hmm. how do you create that culture of like, we lean into action, right? Let's like, when, it, when in doubt, send out a scout. If we don't know what's going to work, let's try something and see how it goes. Right. How, how do you do that, man? So it, it does really go back to the culture, but it's, I'll tell you one thing that's, that's kind of interesting that has taken like some new reps time to adjust is I found that really good execution isn't really just at the individual level. It really comes down to really good. And we're talking about like on the sales side, like deal execution, it's yep. really good collaboration. Um, and so we team sell a ton Um and we, we have this whole concept just around swarming deals. 
And, you know, we'll have four or five different people doing different things, working together. And, you know, we've, I've got kind of feedback from newer folks to where they're like, Hey man, like, why is, why is everybody like wanting to help me? Like, you know, I got this, I'm fine. And it's like, no, that's, that's just how we do things here is that, you know, I'm reaching out to C-suites to help you. I'm having our head of CS reach out to, you know, their, their team that's going to be implementing, you know, we're, we're sending case studies from marketing. You know, we got five or six things, just these orchestrated things that we're all doing together. And we're really, really good at, at collaborating to execute. Um, the other thing too, that, that we really focus on, we, we do, we do talk about the numbers a lot in terms of the, the funnel math, making sure people are, are mathematically set up for success. Um, but, you know, a, a lot of it too is just, you know, making sure that, that people are, are executing on the, on the small things that are ultimately going to lead up to the big things in terms of that. I love that. Yeah. You know, are, are you, are you mathematically set up for success at the, you know, three or four major areas of impact in your, in your funnel? And, and we model that stuff up, you know, both top down and bottoms up. And, And from a bottoms up standpoint, whenever we're looking at our funnel math, I'm super transparent about all of that. I show everybody how I put together a whole entire revenue plan. I divide it out at the individual level. Now I'm like, okay, now show Here's me your part. Yeah. yeah, show me, show me your math, and and we we get fun with it to where it's all the way to okay. Here's here's our organizational math, but now I want you to put your commission rate on it. I want you to deduct what you think it's going to cost for you to to run your life, and then I want you to ultimately put your payday. What what is what is your fun money? Um, and that kind of gets back to that whole personal motivation thing, you know what I mean? To where people really kind of start tying that, tying that dollars back to where it's like, okay, well, well, okay. Well, the math Tyler showed me actually isn't enough for what I really want. So I'm I got to like, one up that. Yeah. I'm like, perfect. Well, that, and that's kind of where it's like, Hey guys, organizationally, I can show you the math, but I want to know what your math is because it's not my math. It's, it's your math. It's your funnel. It's your metric. It's your freaking money, you know? So once again, you're back to the individual's aspirations. So that then tells me it's about connection. And so that's one of the things I'd written down that we have just a few minutes left and we're out of time. It's gone fast like I knew it would. It always does with people like you. Um, <laughs> connection. I, I believe there's three kinds of trust. There's, there's trust in your character. That's the first C. There, there's, there's trust in your competency. Can you do the job you're helping me with? That's the second C. The third C of trust is connection. Do I believe that you have my best interests in mind? And yeah. if you if you have all three kinds of trust, you can really have some influence as a leader. And uh, and so I, I look at this third C, this connection trust. It might be the one that's either the easiest to create or the easiest to screw up, right? Yeah. And and um, and so let let's finish with connection trust if you don't mind. That's a great way to finish. I think leadership is more personal is, than it's ever been right now. We need to have our, our people that we lead believe that we have their best interests in mind. And what that means is we have to know what they aspire to or else we can't create that connection trust. Fair? Yeah. No, that's absolutely right. And, and so I love how you said earlier, it's not one conversation to those people that, are, that don't have that yet. And unfortunately, there's too many depersonalized sales leaders that we're making about just the numbers. And the numbers and the personal math, those are two different things, right? And I think the difference between empowerment and accountability comes down to who came up with the goal. If they come up with their own goal, then it's empowerment. 
If you tell them what they got to do, then it's about accountability. And, um, and I think one is a way more fun conversation to have than the other. But you could tie all these things back together, right? Yeah. You know, to where, to where like, okay, a quota is a quota and it can be viewed as this thing that's ordained down. And, you know, you, you kind of going back to the, the fear-based mentality, or you can actually show them the math behind it and show them how they've got to pace towards that and ultimately yeah. make it, make it their math and their motivation. So ultimately they know that they can, you know, be set up for actual success in your org, but also that personal success to get whatever it is out of the experience working for you. Good, man. It's good. I can see why you've had so much success because you are authentic in your desire to create these like really individual connections with people and helping them get what they want, not just helping them give you what you need for the company. That that's so different. And uh, we could have just talked about that. So we're out of time, man. I want to wrap up. Uh, I want to have you answer a couple of final questions and then um, give you a chance to put some final thoughts on this thing and give people a chance to connect with you. So uh, quick uh, rapid fire, three questions. You ready? Yep. Let's do it. Okay, biggest uh, sales leadership challenge you're seeing right now, and, and what do you think you got to do to beat it? Um, Rob, I forgot what I was going to do on this one. Um, well, we come back to it if you don't remember. I mean, you, okay, you, maybe you got 99 problems, but leadership ain't one, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, it's, I'm joking. It's, it's definitely one. Um, let's yeah, let's talk about when you're hiring teams you, you're building you've given us some things that that connection is clearly a leadership challenge at the, right now um when you're hiring teams building teams you, you, as a high growth leader you're always in the world of building teams when you're interviewing and hiring people is there like a go-to topic or interview question or this like one thing that is like your if they fail on this i don't want them if they pass on this then there's a chance kind of thing is there like one thing that's most important to you yeah i, th- I think my my favorite favorite question to kind of unpack is the, you know, tell me about, you know, tell me a story about something that was really hard that you tried that you failed at. And a lot of that is just to see how they, one, like, do they have enough just, uh, you know, self-reflection to, to, to have these moments to where, you know, they dwelled on it. And also like, I like people that, that have the ability to, to look at things that they weren't great at, not be overly self-critical or, or, you know, have too big of an ego to I like to it. put that put that stuff on the table. So I, I like it whenever you so kind of get back to what we said earlier. People that are very open about sharing whenever things went wrong. Um and, and and you know also that that's really the type of people that that they're that are adaptable and the people that can really persevere through situations because they can look at it in a positive lens and self-reflection and, and they they don't have so much ego that they're you know posturing that they don't even want to like put, put any sort of, of negative thing in front of you during the interview phase. It's like, Love oh, it. man, I've, I've screwed up a bunch of stuff. Let me tell you about it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> such a good one. Thank you for sharing. Last one. Uh, the great leaders never finish their, their growth and their personal development. And I've seen for many leaders are very often readers. And I don't care if it's turning pages or audibles. And I also don't care if it's smaller, if it's a, if it's a blog or a podcast, is there like one thing that you would suggest to these people that are listening to you right now, get your hands on this or consume this because it's going to help you in your leadership uh, journey? Yeah. I mean, I just finished up a uh, qualified sales leader, the John McMahon. That is it's, so good. 
It is really, really good. Um, yeah. You know, great for enterprise selling, but also just all of, you know, all about just really good unpacking motivation um, and just some really good leadership lessons in there as well. Probably the best sales book I've read in two or three years. Perfect. Love that one. Great suggestion. All right. So we're done. We're out of time, man. We went, you know, it, it just went by so fast. How do people get more of you? How, how do they connect with you? How do they learn more what you're doing? How do they pick up what you're putting down? How do they do that? Yeah. So kind of what you mentioned at the beginning, I am a little bit more of the the silent executor type. So I'm not one of these overly noisy LinkedIn people, but if you, if you, which I love a, by the way, <laughs> well, I'd like to kind of let my work speak for itself. And um, also I got a, I've got a young family, got two boys that are, you know, really young and, you know, trying to just keep some balance in my life on everything. But if you send me a message on LinkedIn, I will absolutely respond and would love to connect. Um, and, uh, you know, Rob, definitely appreciate you having me on today. Any final thoughts on what we talked about? That If you're going to wrap everything up, put a bow on it. Any, any final thoughts for all the listeners, these sales leaders around the world that are picking up what you're putting down? I think my final thoughts are is that, you know, it, it has become harder to be a sales leader. You know, you look at all the growth expectations, they keep getting more and more ambitious. And then at the same time, the, the war on talent has made us be way more responsible and thoughtful about, about the people aspect of it. And it's really required a higher level of accountability. And, um, you know, I think I'd just give a little bit of encouragement around the whole, you know, trust component and uh, just building those relationships that, you know, if you're not having success with it, it takes time. It takes time, but, but, you know, don't, don't give up and, and just keep, you know, keep chipping away at it. All right. He's Tyler Barron. He's helping make sales leadership more personal, more connected, more authentic with every person that they're leading, uh, helping them realize that uh, that grass is greener where you water it, not just somewhere else in another, uh, another company, another industry. Tyler, thank you for what you do, man. You're doing great work leading teams. I appreciate your contribution to the sales leadership community. Uh, thank you for joining us today and giving us an hour of your time today. I really appreciate it. And as I say to everyone, my friend, happy selling. Yeah, appreciate it, Rob. Thank you. I enjoyed it. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, part of the Jepson Performance Group, my company. And if you're like most leaders, you've got killer sales process, proven sales tools, great sales training in place. But you've been left on your own to figure out your sales leadership process, your sales leadership tools, and the sales leadership training. And while there's no shortcuts to success, you're going to get there faster if you take the most direct route. That's why I created Sales Leadership United as a resource center for every sales leader, no matter how long you've been leading sales teams. Listen, we have CROs in there for large established companies, all the way down to first-time frontline managers for young companies and everything in between. And they're all having a ridiculously great experience getting the insights and the proven tactics and trainings that work with some of the world's greatest sales teams right now. And if you like the content of this podcast, you're going to love the sales leadership content in my community for sales leaders, Sales Leadership United. You can find it on Patreon, and it's like a Home Depot for sales leaders. You're going to find video excerpts of this and all our podcasts in three to five minute segments, all tagged and organized by topic to help you in your sales leadership journey. You're going to find my very best content, over 100 hours of sales leadership training materials, sales meeting ideas, 
sales leadership and coaching systems, and much, much more. You're going to find everything you need in Sales Leadership United. So don't go reinvent sales leadership. Tap into your proven sales training and sales techniques used by some of the most successful sales leaders in the world. Head over to Sales Leadership United. And if you want video segments for my conversation with Tyler, you're going to find those there too. Listen, I also got to thank each of you, our listeners. There's over 30,000 of you now. We get over 30,000 downloads every month. Show's growing so fast. It's mind-boggling to me that the show is being listened to by so many leaders in so many countries all around the world. And many of you have told me you've listened to every single one of our now 180 episodes. So thank you, because there is no show without you. I do this for you. I love the sales leadership community, and I am pumped that so many of you have found this helpful. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Your support of the show has been humbling and inspiring, and I will keep bringing killer guests to you every single week. And Tyler is one of them. I've watched Tyler firsthand have great success as a sales leader for several years now. He's someone that has been a difference maker to a ton of salespeople, and I was really excited to have him join me. And while he shared a lot of great insights and actionable tactics that every one of us can use, what struck me the most was his emphasis on how personal sales leadership is and needs to be. I want, I want you to think about that, how personal sales leadership is and needs to be. There's a quote, there's a phrase that people used to say all the time, and it was along the lines of, hey, it isn't personal, it's business. And I guess there's some times where that might fit like in terms of investments or whatever. But for a sales leader, that's a converse, that's a statement you should be very careful about using. Because I don't think that statement applies in the same way that it used to be. It's it's a famous scene from The Godfather as well, you know, which is like from the 70s. And and he says in it it's it's not personal, it's strictly business. And they use that as a reason for having pretty tough things happen to a lot of people. Hey, it's not personal. It's just strictly business. And so I want you to ask yourself, is anything in business right now nothing personal? I think very, very little is 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 nothing personal. I don't have to go any farther than the work from home environment. Salespeople right now, m- most of them don't want to return 100% back to the office, if at all. Like some people are having turnover because of a hybrid. We want you to come back some. Um you know, there are some people like me that like being in the office. I, I, I like the office for very specific reasons, but there are others that they will quit a job. It's a reason to not work for you if you require me to come into an office. And so with everybody working from home, it's now largely personal. Most of the meetings that you have may very well be in people's homes via video conference. They're inviting you into the home. It doesn't get more uh, personal than that. I can't tell you how many times people have said as we started a meeting, hey, if the dog barks, I'm sorry, or let me go take care of the dog, or I'm in a call and the doorbell rings and they're like, oh, I got to go get this package or whatever. Happens all the time. It's extremely personal. And so now more than ever before, I think, business is personal. And I think one of the reasons is we crave the deeper connection with our work. We don't want to just work so we can live. Uh, we want to do work that's meaningful. Uh, I believe that work takes so much of our time. We can't do our best life unless we've done our best work. That's if you have, if you go to sales leadership United, you'll see that's the motto there. Do your best work so you can live your best life. I don't think you can live your best life unless you're doing work that you find meaningful. 
So yes, we crave balance. Yes, we crave purpose because it's so important. We can't live our best life without it. Studies show right now that three in five salespeople struggle with their mental well-being. And I think that that part of that is because our work reflects our personal life and our personal lives reflect our work. And so if so many people are admitting they struggle with it, and I'm going to have another expert come on and talk about that, then we need to be aware of just how personal it is. Let me give you a few examples, especially in sales. If you have ever fought and really gone to bat to win a customer, it's personal. If you've ever lost a deal that really would have made a difference in what you could have done for your family. It's personal. If you've lost sleep over your work, it's personal. If you've doubled down on the grind, it's personal. If you're chasing personal aspirations, it's personal. Listen, I started saying years ago, probably in the early 2000s, maybe, yeah, right at the turn of the century, I treat customers as people that are trying to stop me from feeding my family and I should treat them as such. Okay, that's how I treat competitors. I, I, I hope I said that right. I treat competitors, not customers. I treat competitors as someone that's trying to stop me from feeding my family. A competitor is someone that's trying to stop me from sending my son to my daughter or whoever to college. That's what the competitors are trying to do. And I should treat them as such. I'm telling you, that's personal. Um, you know, I, I, I do my work with a lot of intensity. I want to make sure that I create a, a ridiculous experience for my customers. It's personal. I want to win the right customers. It's personal. I want to hold on to the right customers. It's personal, okay? Um, so what drives us each day to get up and get after it? It's because we want to have success in the professional cycles of our lives and we can't live our best life unless we're doing our best work because so many of those cycles are about work. And I think that's one of the reasons there's been so much turnover of salespeople in the last year or so. It's because it's deeply personal. And if it wasn't personal, why would we ever be even be doing it? And if there's one thing I've learned in recent months, it's that it isn't that you care that matters. It's how much you care and how you apply that that makes the difference. Because when you bring the best parts of yourself to work, life, and leadership, When you make everything you do personal and connect your work on that level, you find connection with those you lead that provides much deeper meaning to your work as a leader. And I guess what I'm saying is it isn't just in your interest to connect and have a personal leadership style because it gets business results. I think it's in your interest because you'll find more fulfillment as a leader as you do this work because our role is one of growth and improvement of the people that you lead. And that referring to growth and improvement, that might be about as personal as it gets. So I want you to go back and listen to this conversation I have with Tyler through this filter, the filter that leadership is personal. What we do as leaders is extremely personal, and that makes our job a little more difficult. It's not as simple as a job where you can just manage by the numbers. And a lot of rookie or or people that are stuck in the past are still using – just the numbers to try and lead people. And that doesn't work. I refer to them as spreadsheet leaders. Spreadsheet leadership is an epidemic that we got to fix. Sales leadership has got to be personal, extremely personal. And it's not as simple as looking at the numbers and telling people to figure it out because that's too depersonalized. I found that the elite sales leaders, they make it personal. They don't run from it. And that's one of the reasons Tyler has had so much success for so long with so many salespeople that he's been fortunate enough to lead. Some of the words you're going to hear Tyler say when you go back and listen to that conversation through this filter, 
They're going to help you as you build your personal sales leadership style. Here's a few of those words. Collaboration, transparency, authenticity, relationship, teaming, commitment. And Tyler's right. He started this whole conversation with a statement that I think is really important for each of you to self kind of evaluate with. He said too many leaders still used fear-based mentality. And he's right. And it doesn't work today. The modern sales leader needs to make it personal. And when you lead because people give you permission to lead them, when they choose what they want you to, to they, they choose that they want you to lead them, not just because you have the title, not even because they like you and are, you know, are willing to hang out with you. It's not even because you're going to make them more money because you're good at what you do. I think it's because of who they can become if they get the chance to work with you. Can I become something more? Can I increase in ways that I wouldn't have done on my own or at least as fast as if I was on my own? When you do that, that's when you're the difference maker. And that's the jam. That's what makes sales leadership so awesome is when you can do that. And you can't do it unless you make it personal, as Tyler has suggested. So my advice My challenge to you this week, go make it personal. Don't just help them get what you need. Help them grow and become. So Tyler, my man, thanks for joining me. Congrats on all your success that you're continuing to have. Um, I'm fired up with what you're doing for for the financial services industry that you're you're helping transform right now. Uh, I'm so appreciative to have had you join me today in a conversation that will help so many leaders all around the world. Because the job of a sales leader is not easy, but it is so important and it has so much impact when it's done right. So thank you for sharing and congrats on that massive success you guys are having. And if you haven't connected with Tyler, be sure to do so. He's an awesome sales leader. He's an even better human being and he's one that's happy to help if you ever reach out. So do it. Reach out. Connect. At least find him on LinkedIn. Work to make sure your sales leadership style is personal then, right? Make that a challenge that you are working on right now. Can I make it personal? Because it needs to be in our modern sales world of today. Finally, thanks again to each of you, our listeners. If you liked this episode, please give us a five-star review on iTunes. Makes, it goes a long way in helping me get the best guests in the world on our show. And, and, and if you want to see video clips from any of these uh, recent guests on the show, go to Sales Leadership United and check it out. You'll find the video clips and a lot more all tagged and indexed into the categories you want the most. But the very best compliment you can give me is to share this episode with your friends and colleagues. Please share the show with someone who needs to hear it. And then go be elite. Live strong. Chase your passions. And don't worry. Just execute. Because we got you. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.